Shackleman here, otherwise known as the Pitmaster, a trainer of uh, UFC champions and champions in life alike. And you are listening to the Pro Sports Podcasters. We are the Pro Sports Podcasters, where no sport is left behind. It's time for another episode of the Pro Sports Podcasters with your hosts, Nee Wallace Bruce, Corbert Durand, and Justin Williams. On this podcast, we have guests from all over the world covering every sport from artistic gymnastics to weightlifting. We are something for every sports fan on PSP. Whether your interests are the athletes playing the game, the coaches, or the media, we've got you covered. Fun and informative, honest and engaging. You won't want to miss a single episode. So let's kick this off. Welcome to the ProSource Podcast. I'm your co-host, Mr. Nemolus Bruce, and I am joined by the talented Mr. Corbett Durand, a.k.a. Kobe. Kobe, how are you doing? I'm all right. I've been better. I got a little bit of the flu, but otherwise, I'm rolling. Yep. That's what happens this time of year up in North America. It's a bit cold. You get little things flying around. But someone who's in a warmer climate and is in a much better space is Mr. Damian Brown. He is a veteran of the Australian Army. He's also a former UFC fighter. And nowadays, he's the coach at his own gym, the base training center. And he's a promoter. So he's going to tell us about all of that and more. Damien, how's it going? I'm good, man. I'm good. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Sure, we got no plenty to cover off on. Indeed, and thank you for your service, by the way, as a fellow Australian. Damien, tell us a bit about how you got to where you are today. I guess, like in a nutshell, it's just uh, you know, I always say to people, just put one foot in front of the other. I don't, I don't really set like um, twenty-year goals. I sort of set to what I want to do and then and once it's done I, I move on to the next one and you know I, I feel like I just end up here because this is where I was meant to be I didn't really do martial arts from six and grow up in a gym and, and become a gym owner that way I just sort of I just ended up here um, by by fortune I guess or, or by uh, hard work and you know one thing leading to another so yeah it's, it's been a hell of a journey mm-hmm. for sure do you feel like you're uh, training in the in the army and I guess being persistent and you know I guess never giving up in that uh, realm that that helped you with I guess training as a mixed mixed martial arts fighter and then also running the gym. Uh, yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you can't replace discipline and structure and routine with luck. Like you know, one of the things that the military gives you is the discipline and structure to be able to you know, get things done. You don't get to really procrastinate in the military, so to speak. There's timings for everything and, and you operate your day to those timings. And I think that sort of lifestyle, once you put that into any other area of your life, it makes life really easy and certainly makes business easy. Um, business does give you a lot of curveballs, but in general, it, um, you know, you wake up, you do the same thing at the same time every day, and you make sure you're disciplined enough to carry that out even when you don't want to. And I think for the most part, that, that certainly makes things a lot easier than what they would have been had that not have been part of my life. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 
Yeah, Damien, what got you started in mixed martial arts? What attracted you to it? Yeah, I was just a fat shit. And uh, and I just needed something else in my life. Um, I was in the military. I had uh, a full ankle reconstruction after my deployment to the Middle East. I came home, had surgery. Man, I just got fat. You know, I was, I was 22 years old. I was 20, 23, maybe 23 years old. I played sport my whole life. Football, you know, cricket, AFL. Like, just karate. Like, I played sports since I was five. And um, and all of a sudden, the diet that I had consumed as a young man, which most people do if they're not in and around the gym all the time, but just playing sport, it's, you typically grow up eating what you want and getting away with it. And um, it's not until I was 23 or so years old, had surgery, spent 12 weeks, basically cooped up on the lounge on crutches, and um, you realize that diet's great for an active young man, but not so great for an inactive young man. And then everything came with it. You know, you spiral out of control. You get the, the usual post-surgery depression and, you know, how am I going to get out of this rut? I'm not educated enough on what to eat and how to eat and all that sort of stuff. And, um, you know, like I said, I've done karate in my early years. I loved it. It was part of my life. I did it for seven years and... To me, for whatever reason, at 23, 24 years of age, that was what I felt like I needed. So I went and found that, um, and I was fortunate enough to have a military instructor and fellow soldier who was doing mixed martial arts. And I reached out to him because he was out of the army at the time, but I already knew him, and asked him to help me. And basically, it was, it was, a, it was a plea for help. I needed to lose weight. I knew I needed to lose weight. I just didn't know how to do it. I was motivated to do it. And, um, you know, he gave me the plan and, and uh, I executed it. And I, actually, I was, I was the lightest I've ever been by the time I finished. So I think we were about 16 weeks in and I lost like 20 kilos. And I only put like 10 on over a few months when I had surgery. But just getting it off was a little harder than I expected. And, you know, it's, it's bad enough trying to come back from an injury without having to do it with extra weight. So, yeah, that's that's sort of like I've done it in my childhood and, and for whatever reason at the time, it felt like the option that I needed. I mean, I could have went running. I could have joined a bloody running group. I could have, you know, I was already lifting weights six days a week. So I put a bit of muscle on as well as fat, but, you know, I was out of shape and I needed help and, um, and he helped me. And martial arts was what I felt like I needed to stimulate my brain at the same time as getting the physical results that I needed in my life. And that's what got me into MMA. Uh, started with kickboxing, then it was jiu-jitsu, and then it was MMA. And, and what really got me addicted to MMA itself was getting beaten for the first time on short notice in an amateur fight. <clears throat> as a soldier, you, you generally feel like you're 10 foot tall and bulletproof. And um, I got embarrassed. So... Uh, the guy pulled guard on me, hit, hit a flower sweep and hit the arm bar and mount. And um, I never felt like that before. You know, like it was a bit, your pride took a little bit of a hit. So I, um, I dived into jiu-jitsu six days a week and, and uh, won six straight fights. And then, yeah, we basically, the rest is history. Now, your first professional fight was in Australia. We're talking back in like 2010 or whatever. The most recent UFC pay-per-view was in Perth, Australia. How have you seen the development of mixed martial arts in Australia itself? Oh, man, it's amazing. Like, the sport, 
you know, when I first started, it, it probably sounds a little funny to anyone that's in the States or, or you know, in a, in a, like when the USC started, it was very accessible for Americans. Yes. Um, so it, it wasn't such a um, – and, and you guys have a very different culture. So it, it, it wasn't such a, you know, a far reach, I guess, for you guys. It, it was accessible. Hard to get there, but accessible. For, for people in Australia, typically when I first started in MMA, it was expected that if you wanted to fight in the UFC, that you would uh, get a visa and travel to America and train there for three to six months. And as part of that, you would expose yourself to the UFC, the regional circuit over there. You would win fights and then you would sign with the UFC. Mm-hmm. And typically, if you look back, that's what Kyle Noak did, George Sideropoulos. You know, all these guys in the early days that got to the UFC, they went to the States, they trained in the States, they fought in the States, and they signed with the UFC. Just the fact that guys in Australia don't have to do that now shows you the extent of not just the way the sport's grown in Australia, but the way the sport's grown in general. The UFC is coming to our shores now, which shows you that the sport here is growing and that there's a fan base here for the UFC to bring the biggest event in the world to our shores. So uh, I think that in itself probably probably speaks for itself that we don't have to leave our home gyms anymore. We don't have to leave, not our home gym, but like our, our Australian-based gyms anymore. We don't have to leave our local circuit anymore, you know. There's guys like um, Jack Della. I mean, he's 4-0 with four first-round stoppages, just beat Randy Brown and Perth. I mean, the guy, didn't, he never fought overseas. Mm-hmm. He, he fought in Australia. He made his name in Australia. He fought for a local promotion in Australia. And they built him up, and he signed with the UFC. That shows you just in itself how far the sports come. And then, you know, it goes right down to the grassroots. I mean, we've got youth MMA out here at the moment under IMAF rules, which is, you know, there's different ages, different strikes, no strikes to the head and stuff like that basically grappling with some body boxing right from a young age and it works its way up. So, you know, now we've got amateur leagues where the sport's sort of taking over and kids are typically picking MMA as opposed to, you know, football and stuff like that. So yeah, really starting to flow down. Again, you know, we'll always be sort of five to ten years behind the States, you know, a few years behind Canada because this is, we're sort of like on the outskirts of where the sport started. You know, it started in America, and um, and it was huge there, and it'll always be a little bit ahead there. Um, it's more accessible. You have so many more shows. People can watch it. So you're naturally going to have a bigger fan base. But definitely in Australia, the sports, I mean, it's massive now, and um, the shows that do come here once or twice a year, they sell out in hours. Yeah, and you've, you've almost got to get on the pre-sale, pre-sale these days to be able to, to buy tickets. I missed out on tickets, so I didn't even get to go to Perth. So it's crazy, but it's it's an amazing thing to be a part of, and I think the next ten years will be bigger again, and it definitely helps the local, you know, martial artists move into business. So in the past, if you did martial arts, you typically didn't go into business because. There was no business there that you had, whereas now I think it opens the doors for a lot more people to to go into a career post-fighting as well. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, you mentioned local promotions. Um, You're a promoter with Beatdown Promotions. Tell, tell us a little bit about that and how that started. 
Well, basically, I thought that for a few years there was it's sort of a regional thing. So in our in our geographical area, so like North Brisbane, um, Brisbane's the, the capital of Queensland. You know, in in North Brisbane, there was no MMA shows, so we'd we drive an hour or two hours to be able to go to a local show, and I just could never work out why. So I've, I've been thinking about it for a long time, and uh, one of my um, one of my teammates, uh, Elliot Compton, was looking to go to MMA. He's a eleven-time world Thai boxing champion and a BJJ brown belt, and um, he wanted to fight MMA. He'd been fighting so long overseas, won championship for like four or five years. So I guess it was bridging the gap. You know, for a lot of guys that go overseas to come back and fight domestically is hard. Um, you get paid so well overseas that once you come back, it's, you're sort of doing it for the love again. And that almost feels like going backwards sometimes. So I, I sort of um, I thought that that was the best opportunity for me to get involved and I pulled the trigger. And that's, that's pretty much, you know, it was a thought for a long period of time. I planned everything, so I had a plan. I just didn't have a reason, and that was my reason. It's the same as the gym. You know, when I started my gym, I, I used to sit on night shifts at, when I was working shift work, and I would draw floor plans of how my gym would look, and I would write everything down, and I'd redo it. I did it for years until I had a reason to pull the trigger. And I, I think, like, um, for me, that was the reason for the, for the promotion. Was just uh, I wanted to help out my friend and, and help him make that that connection and bridge the gap, and that's what we did. And then once the first show was over, it was a great success. So we carried on, and now we've got our third event coming up. Nice, I love that, and I, I love the planning aspect as well. Because one of the statements that I live by is failure to plan is a plan to fail. I'm sure you've probably heard it, but it's just. So much easier when you've got some sort of ground groundwork in place to, to organize and to set things in motion. Yeah, I think you've got to understand. You know, like I, I don't everything I say I'm going to do, I do, but I, I typically don't do anything that I haven't thought about doing for a while. Like I'm not, I'm not running out, you know, starting an ice cream business because ice cream tastes good. Yeah, you know I mean, like I, if I'm going to go and start an ice cream business, I've got a plan to be different. So yeah, it's um. You know, I, I plan everything and I do it for a long time. It just needs to be a reason for me to pull the trigger on things. And if I don't have a reason, then I, I just won't pull the trigger. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes the, the best decision or the best move is to not make a move at all. Yeah. You know, just wait and see. Especially, I'm not sure how it is in Australia right now, but in the Northern Hemisphere, there's a little bit of a downturn going on. You're seeing shops close. You're seeing payment terms extended. And sometimes it's best to to wait things out a little bit before making a move. Yeah, I agree. Now, you mentioned the city of Brisbane. It's a city I know well. Um, I lived there for seven years. I was actually born in, I was actually born in Townsville. I, was only, I only spent two years there. Oh, man, I lived in Townsville for nearly five years. You would have been, um, you would have been stationed up there on, on base, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, Damien, I need you to, to explain to our listeners why Queensland is God's country. Uh, because it's the... Perfect temperature in summer and winter. It's the sunshine state. Uh, it's where sport all year round is fun to attend. Uh, you don't have to wear a snow jacket in winter to watch a game of football, and you can go to the football in summer, you know, in a singlet and not worrying about getting scorched. It's just, you know, I could go on for 
you know, I've, I've lived in Victoria, New South Wales, and Queensland, so all the way from the south to the north, and, you know, I, I could not imagine living anywhere but Queensland. It's particularly Brisbane compared to Sydney and Melbourne for me. It's not as big as Sydney and Melbourne, but it provides the same opportunities. Mm-hmm. It's easy to get around, and there's there's a lot to do. I mean, like I said, I could, I could go on for a long time, but for me, it's it's just you got 40-degree dry heat and zero degrees in winter when you go south, or you got, you know, 30 degrees and a little bit of humidity, uh, or 20 degrees in winter, maybe 15. Mm. In Brisbane, it's, it's sort of like you get uh, better temperature uh, range and a better all-year experience by living in Queensland than mm-hmm. you do once you go south and you get the extremes. Um, plus, you know, like I said, you have access to everything. You have all the same opportunities, and uh, it's just a, a little bit smaller place. Um, for me, I couldn't think of anything worse than trying to get around Sydney. Oh, tell me about it. I, li- I lived in Melbourne briefly, and I did grow up in Perth, but yet yeah, I refused to live in Sydney. I'd been there many times, but if I had to go over the bridge every day, it would it would break me down. Yeah, yeah, man. Like even in peak hour traffic, unless there's an accident, like going from North Brisbane to the city is only sort of thirty forty minutes. It's it's not the end of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, from a city point of view, Brisbane's definitely uh, as far as East Coast goes. Anyway, it's it's ideal, and the experience here is an all an all year round experience. There we go. Are you ready to stay fit this winter? Get off the couch with Kettlebell Kickboxing Canada. Sign up now to their mobility and movement program. Use the code PSP15 to get 15% off the one-time purchase of the program. Then it's yours forever. No additional subscriptions or fees. The program is available worldwide. Now, back to the show. The Olympics in 2032 are probably going to be the best we've ever seen. I'm saying it right now. Do you think yeah, we'll see I, MMA in the Olympics? I don't, I don't know if we'll see MMA in the Olympics. Oh, look, don't get me wrong, I'd love to see it in the Olympics. I know that there's a lot of people trying to get it in the Olympics. I think IMAF is probably the way. I don't think we'll see professional MMA in the Olympics. I think it'll be amateur. Mm-hmm. And I do think that IMAF has a format that could potentially lead to the Olympics and could be good for some friendly viewing. But, yeah, I, I'm not sure. I, I like to think yes. I hope one day. Uh, I'm not sure the sport's there yet. About 10 years is a long way away. Indeed. Are we going to see cricket in the Olympics, Damien? No. No one wants to see Australia win cricket in the Olympics. So it's like no other teams that are competitive. I mean, I shouldn't say that right now. We're getting smashed in India. But, uh, I don't know. Like, uh, the thing with cricket is... Um, the thing with cricket is... It seems to be wherever you go, the pitch is made for the home team to win. Because it's not that it's made for them to win, it's that they're used to batting on it. Mm-hmm. We just had an Australian series out here where they just slaughtered the teams that came here. And they look like the number one t- test team in the world. Then they go to India and they're falling for 100. Like it's, you know, it's, it's wild, but the Indians can bat 300 out there. So, you know. I don't, I don't know. Um, I, I don't say that because Australia's the best in the world. I say that because if you come to Brisbane, and play Australia and Brisbane in Test cricket, you're going to lose. Uh-huh. And I just don't think that it's there. But there's no, you know, what have we got? Two hundred and eighty something countries that are in the Olympics, and I can't see 
cricket being entertaining. Okay. Maybe 2020. Maybe 2020. 2020 cricket. It's a good format. It's entertaining. Pitch doesn't really matter. They're just smashing it anyway. I don't know. Maybe we'll get 2020 cricket in the Olympics. Now, you have your own gym, correct? Yeah. What's your role in those gyms? Uh, Well, I started my gym so I could coach. And fortunately, my gym is now that big that it takes up a lot of my time. And I believe that in growing a gym, you do circles, right? So you start out coaching and doing a little bit of admin. Then you find yourself doing a whole lot of admin and a little bit of coaching. And then you come full circle and you end up with a full team, which is what I'm fortunate enough to have is a team of people that do their job and love martial arts as much as I do. And they all have a little role to to play in that thing. So now I can just coach again. So basically, you know, my, my role is a head coach. And in the back end, my job is to make sure that I put the systems in place to continue to grow the organization. Okay, or the, the company or the business, the member base. Um, so my, my job is to work on, you know, marketing, uh, marketing strategies and programming. So we have um, not just curriculums, but we have programs. So we run a 12-week jiu-jitsu, MMA, kickboxing program and wrestling. And all four of those tie in. So if you did an MMA class, you get whatever's on the menu for jiu-jitsu, striking and wrestling in the week, all involved in the MMA class. They're written as an educational system. So, yeah, our, our job's, my job's basically to manage staff and coach as much as I want and to oversee and continue to build the back end of the business. Um, and I like it because I'm very passionate about business and I'm very passionate about martial arts. So, I want to coach and I want to grow businesses. And it's come full circle and that's, that's where I'm sitting at the moment. So, you know, I'm, I'm essentially a head coach and general manager. Is your goal to develop champions? Is it more about physical fitness? My goal is to provide access to martial arts for as many people as possible to achieve their individual goals under the same umbrella. Okay, so it, it isn't geared toward one particular person. It's whatever they want to take from it. Yeah, so to clarify, what that means is we're not an MMA gym full of fighters and we're not a jiu-jitsu school with no competitors. We have a great competition jiu-jitsu, not team, but like we have a great amount of our team that compete successfully in jiu-jitsu. We have 13 fighters across amateur and professional who are competing on March 4th and March 11th. So in the first two weeks, we have 13 people fighting. And we have a lot of parents and kids who will never compete in either of those and do martial arts because they love it and they are fantastic gym members, incredible team members. We have dads who are so passionate about the team environment that they sit in a sauna cutting weight with our fighters and driving them to weigh-in so as I can focus on what I'm doing. We, we just have we have this, this member base of people that are connected through individual goals that require each other to achieve those and it's a really, it's really difficult to manage, but I stress to everyone, we're not a fight gym. You know, we, we are not a fight gym. We focus on the martial arts. We focus on people getting better at the sports, individual disciplines, if that's what they want. But we will have fighters. We do have fighters and we will have champions. And I do think that at some point, someone from my gym will be in the UFC one day. 
how far they go is really up to them. Um, but I, I think that we we have a way of coaching, training, and performing that doesn't require us to be a fight gym, but to be a, a martial arts school that provides education and training to a level that people can compete in any sport. Um, we have we have a wrestling class on a Friday night, and we have a sparring session on Saturdays that typically only fighters will come to. But during the week, you know, we feel like we provide a product that everyone can achieve their goal in. And um, so far, that's worked. And, you know, we, we do get asked pretty regularly, like, you didn't want to be a fight gym, but now you've got all these fighters. You know, well, our fighters are like a 5% of our member base, you know. We've got a lot of people that do martial arts because it's better for their life, it's better for their mental health, it's a good escape from their, their day-to-day grind. Those people should be able to train with fighters and fighters should be able to train with them. So, yeah, that's that's what we um, that's what we've got. And it sounds a bit confusing, I guess, or a bit hard to understand, but it's very easy for me. You know, these guys have all got their own goals, um, but they need one another, and that's the beauty of an individual sport that requires a team to get ready. Is it what you envisioned when you started the gym? Um, yeah. Yeah, it, it actually is. Um, it took me about 12 months to convince people to walk through my door that despite being someone that had fought in the UFC and being a Australian champion and, you know, being a soldier that, you know, I wasn't I wasn't in it necessarily to create the next Conor McGregor. You know, I, I'm in it to teach martial arts. I love martial arts. It's, it's a massive passion of mine. And, you know, I just wanted to pass that on to as many people as possible. And I do believe that, Everyone needs to be pressure tested at some point, but it can be done in different ways. And I don't think that we need to be a you know a fight gym to achieve that. And I think that everyone can do jujitsu. You know, it's I'm not going to say jujitsu is for everyone, but everyone should be able to try it. And um, I think as a team, we've been able to put an environment together that makes people feel comfortable. That sort of you know bucks the I guess the the trend or the thought process that. It's got to be rough all the time and people have got to get hurt and all that sort of shit. Like, I, I think that we've, we've got a good, safe environment and it's positive and it's reinforcing. And, and I think that our competition results show that whatever we're delivering is working. That doesn't mean everyone needs to compete. So, yeah, it's, it's everything I envision. It's, it's uh, oh, man, honestly, I wake up every day and I'm, I'm absolutely blown away by what we have. No, that's awesome. And do you offer uh, belt progression in any of the disciplines or no? Um, so we have Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Um, I'm a black belt and uh, we're directly affiliated with Pariestra. Okay. Under Sensei Yuki Nakai, and, uh, who most people would know from Fighting in Pride. And he's a fifth degree black belt and, and we're affiliated in Japan there. But yeah, I'm a black belt. Um, one of our other coaches is a first degree black belt and a second degree black belt in judo. Um, and all of our coaches have had, well, up until recently, we hired some young guys, but um, all of our coaches have had professional fights uh, or competed in jiu-jitsu. And so you've got competitors who are leading you and teaching you. And so, yeah, it's, um, it's pretty cool. No, oh, that's fantastic, Damien. Yeah, that's awesome to hear. And you mentioned that at some point, we should all have some sort of pressure. You have had to overcome adversity at many levels, whether that was in the army, on duty, as a fighter, and also just getting the business off the ground. What are some words of advice you'd pass on to others in terms of 
hitting adversity head on and overcoming it? Oh, that's a that's a big question, man. Um, <clears throat> man, you know what? We we can avoid adversity as much as we want, but I believe it will find us at some point. We can't sit on our couch all day and have a safe life. So we need to expose ourselves to adversity as much as possible in order to develop the coping mechanisms or systems to deal with such things. Uh, my advice is to expose yourself to as much adversity as possible and start with small doses and then go from there. What I mean by that is if you join your local jiu-jitsu gym, you'll have adversity on your first night. You'll have adversity every night. There's going to be some kind of adversity, some kind of pressure, some kind of, you know, even in your own head, you're going to leave and be like, fuck, oh, I suck tonight. That's adversity. I mean, that's dealing with it on a small scale and that's going to help you deal with large-scale adversity in your life. And so, yeah, my advice is to not try to avoid it, not try to minimize it, but just try to expose yourself to it in controlled environments so as you can deal with it when you need to outside of that environment. Right. So it's kind of like if you're going to try it, you probably will suck the first time because there's no such thing as an overnight success, but embrace the suck and get on with it. Look at it like uh, it, this is a big thing in the world at the moment. Right? Look at it like heat exposure. Right? If I just went like from winter and jumped in a hundred degree sauna, I'm like one minute. I'm like fuck this. I'm out of here. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. You don't get to two minutes without doing the one. You don't get to three minutes without doing the two minutes. So you know you you gotta you gotta expose yourself to everything. Otherwise, you're just not gonna have the coping mechanisms or the the ability to deal with such pressure or adversity at the time. So, you know, there's, there's nothing worse than not being able to deal with something because you don't know how. So expose yourself to it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, mate, before we get you out of here, just got a couple of food-related questions. And this is one where you're going to teach our audience a little bit. So explain to our audience the greatness of Morton Bay bugs for a moment. Oh, they're expensive, man. What? They're expensive. What? <laughs> <laughs> Morton Bay Bugs is arguably the greatest seafood you're ever going to eat. Okay, they're definitely not for the 2023 financial climate. But if you can afford them, you need to get yourself some Morton Bay Bugs. You need to cook those bad boys up, and you need to experience the greatness of gold in your mouth. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, how would you describe that taste? Is it kind of like yeah? How would you describe it? Oh man, it's been a little while actually. That soft, uh, <laughs> it's just like the texture. It's kind of like eating, uh, oh man, I don't know, just that softness, that seafood softness. You know, imagine, uh, imagine eating prawns or shrimp, mm. but like really expensive prawns and shrimp, like real soft texture. It's like butter, like you know, yes. it just melts, melts yes. in your mouth. It's like meat that melts in your mouth. Seafood that melts in your mouth. It's the most amazing experience. Yeah. Yeah. Those Olympians, they don't know what they're in for in 10 years' time when oh, that man, is going to be yeah, served I'll tell up. You what, man, that Olympic village is probably going to give that stuff to them for free. So uh, I need to get in the Olympics. That's right. <laughs> We've got to get there too. We've got to find our way into that village. Because I know they have a 24 hour McDonald's at the Olympic village site, but there's more than many bugs there. They're going to be something else. 
Um, uh, now, have you been to Canada? I have not, actually. I was going to go to Canada for Christmas this year coming up, but instead I'm going to Europe because I, I wanted a white Christmas for my son. Actually, nice. my son wanted a white Christmas and being the dad that I am, I was like, well, I need to do that now. So, um, you know, he's at an age where he's going to remember it and the older he gets, you know, the less Christmas becomes the magic that it is. So, um, so yeah, I, I, uh, I was going to go to Canada to dance for Christmas, but instead we're, we're not, we're going somewhere else. But, uh, man, Canada has been, since I can remember wanting to go on holidays, Canada has been my number one holiday destination. And I've never been there. Of all the places I've been in the world to fight and train and travel, I've never been to Canada. Yeah, you'll have to do it, and you'll have to get yourself something called a put-in. It's, um, Kobe, what, what is a put-in? Educate him. Uh, a put-in is fries with cheese curds on top and then hot gravy poured over so the cheese curds begin to melt into the fries. I've heard of this before. We don't get cheese curds in Australia. I'm pretty sure they're banned. But, um, yeah, so okay. we, we, yeah, they're banned yeah. lots of places, actually. Yeah, because yeah. I don't know about all I know is that we 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 just don't get cheese curds out in Australia. Is it cheese curds? How do I spell that? Cheese what? C U R D S. Curds, cheese curds. Uh, yeah, I've never heard of it. But you got to try it. You definitely got to try it. Um, well, I'm gonna go to Canada just to try it. I need a snow holiday anyway. <laughs> so the snow coming in on Wednesday. So. <laughs> oh well. Yeah, it doesn't. Doesn't really stop this time of year. Yeah, I'm, I definitely need a holiday to Canada one day. Absolutely, the UFC is also going to come up here eventually. So it's yeah. been a while. It's been a minute. You want to come back? Hey, big time. Yeah. yeah. Now, Damien, we can find you on Twitter and Instagram at Beatdown One Five Five. Is there anywhere else on social media where we can follow you and your adventures? Yeah, you know, I'd love for people to follow my gym. We, we put a lot of content on there, so it's at Base Training Center. Center is spelled R-E, not E-R, at Base Training Center. And uh, and at Beatdown Promos, so you can follow us on that too on Instagram. So, yeah, that's uh, that's where you can you can catch us. I put a lot of content on our on our gym page. Uh, and check out our YouTube channel at Beatdown Promos. We put heaps of fight footage up there. And uh, subscribe to us and, and give us some love as we grow the sport down here. Indeed, we'll be watching your progress, and we look forward to it, and we thank you for your time. No, I appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Seriously, awesome having you on, buddy. No, it's good. It's good to have people just uh, have those direct, straight-to-the-point questions that we can we can just crack on with, so I appreciate that. Thank you. It was very well organized. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. For even more of your favorite sports content, be sure to visit the website, www.prosportspodcasters.com. On our website, you will find our sports blog, full podcast library, access to our YouTube channel, and deals from our affiliate partners. You can also sign up to become a PSP Insider and get exclusive access to our insider tips, sponsor giveaways, and insider newsletter. So don't miss out on the full Pro Sports Podcasters experience, where no sport is left behind.